Borag Thong Earthlets. My name is Conrad, along with my friend Fox, and this is the 49th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month in progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2080 and Tornado for May, June, and July of 1980, progs 163 to 167. Uh, this week... Or this episode, Mach Zero meets his fate, Judge Dredd goes to the stars, and the stainless steel rat rides again. Aw, oh, yeah, bro. I gotta say, it's really funny listening to older episodes of this show, and you're like, oh my god, that's so many episodes at, like, episode 20 or something. <laughs> <There, laughs> Alright, listen, I'll be honest, they're all too many. There's so... You guys, we're, we're reading... A lot of comics. <laughs> I can't, I can't stress enough how many comics. Like people suggest new comics to me, and I'm like, dude, do you know how many comics I'm reading just to keep my head above water for the show? <laughs> it's a lot of comics. It's not a small amount of comics. Yeah. I mean, we're hobbling along. No, so. I think we. No, we love it. I feel like it's like. Oh yeah. I can't stress enough that we're having such a great time doing this show, but it's also not without effort. <laughs> you know what I mean? Dude, kind of, it's uh, it's almost like the same amount of effort as a uh, ex mob boss doing a crab walk. <laughs> I don't know how to I don't know how to do Robo Hunter better than that. I'm sorry. You're totally right, dude. Speaking of crab walk and mob bosses, <laughs> three one Robo Hunter. To be honest, I, I didn't even notice until about partway through the first thing. What? You're a I crazy was just like, man. Who is this guy? And then it slowly makes yeah. sense. So, script robot for Robot Hunters, John Wagner writing as TB Grover, the art robots, Ian Gibson, the lettering robots, uh, Steve Potter. So, okay, we start with uh, Sam Slade, his robot assistant, Hoagie, and his robo Stogie. Um, uh, uh, they're trying to stop the robot takeover of the city, the mysterious day of the droids. To do that, they uh, take freed mob boss legs latuna and he's led them to the amusement park roboland and yeah because he was stuck in like a canary cage for like months he's stuck squatting down on the ground and kind of walking around like that it's, it's pretty great um, um roboland has a bunch of super creepy heads just around it and the mm -hmm. queue is massive Everything about Roboland is very creepy, honestly. There's a ton of, like, robot versions of celebrities and stuff. Oh, God. Uh, that, yeah, it gets yeah. weird. As they enter, the god droid is back at his base, and he's berating his robot goons when a call comes from some kind of, like, cyber ape guy that Slade and Coven <laughs> spotted at the park. Back with the team, basically everybody splits up. Ro uh, Hoagie goes to fight robot Vikings, and they like complain that they're being killed by by another robot instead of humans. Which I mean, to be fair, it's a theme park for humans. Come on, yeah, buddy. definitely. Uh, Sam, yeah, Sam pays to kiss a uh, robot Goldie Hawn, I think, but then accidentally ends up making out with a robot Clark Gable instead. I mean, accidentally is sort of weird, like. Clark Gable just shoves his way in there and starts making out with them. I don't yeah. know what the hell the subtext is here. Well, no, it was that it was that the uh, those cyber ape, those cyber ape guys sort of made the made the robots become more aggressive towards Sam to separate him from like legs Latuna and stuff. 
Um, so once he's yeah, once he's d- done being distracted, Sam catches up with Legs, who's been crushed under a ton of bricks. But yeah, what the hell? But who's who's done this? He Sam turns around and he meets the ultimate enemy of Sam Slade: five identical Sam Slade <laughs> robots. <laughs> Which is pretty great. My ultimate I mean, enemy: five copies of me. <laughs> It's Slade, a go-go. So, the five robot Slades have the drop on Sam, though they're all very complimentary about it. Like, oh man, you're the best, but there's five of us and one of you, so we're going to take you out. Um, Yeah, it's it's like the whole comic is full of them just being like, man, we are awesome. It's like, true. Pretty accurate. Yeah. So they're about to take him down when the showing of the robo musical Rovita by Android Lloyd Webber lets out and Sam oh. escapes in the confusion. Oh. Yeah. Sam realizes that the robo-slades won't shoot him in the presence of other uh, park-goers, so he goes to hide in the Palais de Robo-Dance. That's right, Samantha. Yeah, he gets caught in a huge dancing competition with Samantha, the the dancing robots. The the robo-slades turn up the settings on her, and uh, all hell breaks loose. She, like, starts throwing them around. Sam ends up um, up hanging from a chandelier and gutting down one of the robo-slades, and then escaping into the next exhibit, the uh, uh, Prehistoria Land of the Mechosaurs. Which, uh, you know, anytime there's dinosaurs, I'm pretty bought into the situation. This prepare, gets pretty awesome. Prepare yourself for Robo Flesh, book one. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. So, Sam's in the land of Robo Dinos. It's pretty good. Uh, the Robo Slades give chase. Sam takes down one more Robo Slade, but things look bad as the Robo Slades order a Robo Game Warden to turn all the animals against him. Swinging from trees, Sam takes out the remaining <laughs> robo-slades and the warden grabs the robo-warden's control box and uses it to take control of a robot triceratops! It's so awesome, it's and then awesome. he just, like, smashes it into the yeah. nuts of a robo-T-Rex. He pilots it, yeah, through the carnage, takes out the robot T-Rex and the robo-slade, and, and, and the last robo-slade. There's a pause in the action, and S- Sam uses it to reprogram the two least damaged robo-slades to become loyal to him, and it works pretty good, so now it's just sort of three Sam Slades hanging out, complimenting each other. <laughs> and sitting on Triceratops. <laughs> yeah, all three mount Mechotopses and ride out to stop the god droid. <laughs> it's pretty great. So, this leads to a pretty awesome action scene as the Slades riding the Mechotopses crash into the command center of the Roboland administration building, finding it to be full of apes made super smart by cybernetic brains. What is These- it with them and, like, apes with super intelligence i you know they're a good like bad guy honestly like you know they got they got the smartness of the humanity but they're also really angry at humans because we've been so crappy to apes over the years you know are they just the skeletons of the sci-fi era definitely yeah i feel like they could be or like the orcs or something yeah yeah. um yeah so (laughs) (laughs) sam so sam takes down the cyber apes and head into the basement where they find all the city's big wigs frozen in suspended animation and of course uh stogie takes the time and effort to say like oh you know it's a really good cure for smoking is just suspended animation listen stogie will not be stopped in any way in his anti-smoking messaging uh, Sam tries to wake them up as dozens of those like tiny Pac-Man like murderous teeny mechs storm out to stop him. 
And I really like those. I mean, they're great murderers. And I feel like Pac-Man was big at the time, too, in, like, 1980. Mm. So it's very, like, this is kind of a robot or tech thing that everybody sort of has a touchstone for, too. Mm. Um, The surviving cyber ape sort of warns the god droid that Sam is becoming a problem. And in response, the god droid decides to start the day of the droids right now. Yeah, I guess why not? So open up your weird belt button and then press the button in your belt button. Oh, Merita, indeed. So... (laughs) (laughs) so so robot cops start taking down their robot partners and they're converging on police stations to remove the humans there just like straight up throwing them out of windows and stuff dude one just crushes mo in the face definitely dead now yeah it's like well yeah like they they show like apparently all the robots and and the robot cops and regular cops just in cars next to each other and the robot cop just kind of reaches out and like karate chops their human partner in the throat killing them for each one you know it's pretty rough yeah meanwhile sam and hoagie are preparing to deal with this army of uh team x (laughs) Eh, one of them is preparing. The other one is, uh, you know. Sam, well, Hoagie's, Hoagie's taking notes on everything, you know. <laughs> God, A- after being Watson. Uh, you know, uh, Ho- Ho- Hoagie's funny in side note things. Like, there were some funny points where, like, he'd say hi to Sam and then hi to all the robo-slaves I chasing like after that. him. Like, not even, like, realizing, like, whoa, if there's so many Sams, is this going to affect my status as an assistant? Does he even need an oh, assistant? <laughs> right <laughs> but so uh after getting knocked out by the teeny's nose gun hoagie and stogie carry sam to safety and when he comes to he grabs an oil barrel and tosses it down to teeny mech lighting it on fire hopefully the uh sus- sus- suspended animation tanks are heat proof i guess next I... time next time the robo union strikes <laughs> so bizarre <laughs> I, it's like it it went from weird to just like from fucking strange so fast. Yeah, like I mean, I love Robo Hunter, and it's definitely like it's such a big um, jump from a lot of these others. Like actually, from even from the next thrill that that gets so serious and stuff. This thing's just yeah. full on wacky, absurdist like sci-fi robot stuff in a way that like is actually kind of unusual. I guess just because I feel like a lot of sci-fi stuff tends to be serious, and yeah, this yeah. is just like. Just like a Marx Brothers routine or something like that. It really is. It's like the the cornerstone of slapstick. And it started off, I mean, obviously we're talking about it right now, but it started off nearly all of the comics. Uh, yeah, them. it's interesting. I've been I've been reading the Mighty One, which is this book that Steve McManus, who's th- who is who's the editor of 2000 AD of the era, we're reading, and he sort of mm-hmm. gave the gave the hierarchy of thrills basically, and it's like. Your number one thrill goes in the, or like, if you have sort of a spine thrill, or like, or bit barring that, your your number one thrill goes in the middle because it's got the color page. Mm-hmm. Then your next highest thrill goes first, and your second, and the thrill after that goes last, and then the middle is sort of for everything else, basically. So oh, it means that. So it means that, like, for a lot of these, that Robo Hunter is sort of the top thrill, and then later, like, I think, like, uh, the next month we cover, it's going to become the last thrill. And mm. um, stainless steel rat comes comes in in as the first thrill, you know. Because stainless steel rat's fucking awesome. Yeah. Also, and I, well, I'll talk about it later. But yeah, there's other stuff towards that too. But yeah, it's you know, this is definitely one of the things that they sort of recognize as being like a top thrill, as we can sort of tell just because of how long it is, mm. and that they, they they've sort of brought it back from other stuff. So it's sort of like this is one of our you know ongoing 
like tent poles basically you know yeah yeah well i mean it it certainly hit like all of the high notes and just was hilarious <laughs> this story is yeah it's a lot of fun for sure mm. hey speaking of things that are not fun and actually kind of sad fox yeah what the hell let's go to uh thrill to mock zero so script robot for mock zero steve mcmanus writing is ian rogan art robots mike dory lettering robot is tony jacob I'd prepare to cry. Seriously, dude. So, hey, we start with uh, Tommy. That's Mach Zero's son, who is, as we said last week, is living a uh, Harry Potter-style adopted child existence in a uh, in a dark, moody house on Dartmoor in England. Um, Which, I mean, like, it is a massive palatial estate. But he's also, like, like pretty ill-treated, it seems like. He's escaping out of a window to be free, like, by a rope. He's caught by his adopted father and brother and is promptly uh, beaten, like, a bunch of times by a goddamn riding crop, which is ridiculous. Yeah, and that's after almost getting his arm broken by the dad. And, the, like, yeah. the young son or the, the kid from the actual marriage is, like, running around like, this is so awesome, I want to watch this child get beaten. Absolutely. Like, oh, God. Yeah. So, like, things are going pretty bad domestic abuse-wise when suddenly a dark figure comes crashing into the house. It's Zero! Yeah. So cool. I like him in a suit. Totally. He looks cool, yeah. He, he beats up the brother and he smashes the father's gun and demands to take Tommy with him. The family agrees and Zero heads out. After oh, and then he smashes the Mickey Mouse phone in the car. <laughs> we waited months for that Mickey Mouse phone. Yeah, and he also he also uh, wrecks up the car, and that's when it becomes personal with him and the dad guy. <laughs> uh, Zero and Tommy run into the forest, but the long-term effects of compupuncture make Zero have to take a rest, at which point Tommy ditches him because he just thinks he's like some random Incredible Hulk guy that just showed up. Which I, I would always stick with the random Incredible Hulk guy, to be perfectly honest, but, you know. Me, me, me too, dude, but I don't know. Who's used to say what these kids today are doing, these 1980 <laughs> teenagers, you know? But so, <laughs> Tommy continues running until he reaches a police roadblock and overhears... And instead of crossing the street, he uses the green cross code and surveys the situation, seeing police cars and not proceeding forward. <laughs> He uh, he overhears government guys talking about killing Zero, and actually they also confirm that Zero is Tommy's father in their random conversation. So, which I mean, yay context. I better go back and see my dad. Yeah, Tommy's worried now about his realizing that this guy might actually be his dad, and starts <laughs> running back to his father to help him. Uh, he looks so, pretty alarmed. Yeah, I mean, he's like, he's going through a lot right now, honestly. I mean, <laughs> for real. So the army's rolling over Dartmoor, complete with a tank to hunt for Zero. As Tommy runs back to check on his father, he finds him on the ground, writhing in pain as army guys try to carry, carry him away. So, so before you continue, you mentioned tank, right? Mm -hmm. But like in that same panel, they're like, yeah, we're just using these like high grade tranquilizer darts. Does mm -hmm. that cannon just shoot? Really yeah, tank? later it shoots, uh, it shoots knockout gas or whatever. So t Tommy grabs a stick and takes out both of the soldiers. Um, <laughs> and, and w fair enough, I guess. Uh, Zero comes to... And is a and thinks that Tommy just stayed with him the whole time. But it's interesting because Zero has become kind of a law abider. Like he kind of takes the view of like, hey, like we should just give ourselves up. 
Um, yeah. Like I'll just surrender to these soldiers. I just want, or, or I just want to be left alone. Like please don't make me do anything. Basically, but at which point, as the uh, as the army guys are coming up, one guy trips and accidentally shoots a tr- uh, Tommy with a trank dart. And in true Hulk fashion, he hulks out. This is a mistake. Uh, the, <laughs> the army starts converging on Zero. Multiple Trank darts have no effect. He's super angry now, and it's just bad news. Zero's ready to wipe out a whole army. So he picks up a boulder. Yeah, it takes us to the final sh- uh, showdown. Just covered in Trank darts that have no effect. <laughs> Zero's picking up boulders and smashing dudes with him. He punches a whole platoon of dudes to custard, basically. It's amazing. And then he like, smashes the tank in its yeah, face. The tank fires a shell of the, what they call CR gas, I guess, but has no effect. Zero starts to rip the tank apart. And so, like, the government guy's like, we have to run. But, like, the boss government dude is like, I got one last thing up my tri- trick up my sleeve and just calls in, like, a bunch of jets to do a goddamn airstrike on Zero, which is <laughs> which, crazy. What the hell? Yeah. Even that barely takes down Zero. Like,. <laughs> They drop, like, hella bombs on him, and he's, like, still just, like, I have time for final words, you know? And, <laughs> like, and in that moment, thankfully, due to the concussion from multiple airstrikes, he now speaks like a normal person and has his, you yeah. know... Well, I think that's moment. nice. You know, he kind of... Yeah. Yeah, t- he, yeah, Tommy goes to him, and he professes his love for his son, his sorrow they couldn't be together, and he dies in Tommy's eyes, in, in, in Tommy's arms. Yeah, it's super sad, dude. We uh we cut to a few days later as the government guys uh, have another meeting with Margaret Thatcher and are forced to resign in disgrace. Which, like, one of the few times I'll cheer for the actions of Margaret Thatcher, I guess. <laughs> and, um, Tommy heads out on his own, possibly to do some incredible hoax style wandering, um, for his own peace. You know. Yeah, Sans Incredible Hulk style powers. Mm-hmm. But that's the end of Zero, dude. Oh man, it was so, so sad, you know. It really was. I like, but after finishing it, and you know, I like Mike Dory art. Definitely, yeah. Uh, and the story is very touching. Why did they do this? Like, I'm guessing there must have been some amount of fan mail to be like, bring Zero back. I think it was. Yeah, I couldn't see anything for a reason why to, it 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 just seemed like I think they wanted yeah, to just kind of cap off this story, I guess. Cuz like cuz like honestly, even though this him dying is sad, it's not as like the previous story ended with Zero just being arrested again, which is just like a yeah. bummer, you know? So I could really see them wanting to sort of finish things up, and they might have just been like, it might have also been a thing where they kind of had the uh, the art for this sort of lying around or something, and they're just like, oh, like we needed, we need like a four week feature to sort of pad in between two different things, so let's just toss it in here, you know? That makes sense. That's sort of like a lot of thing, a lot of like future shocks and other things are things that kind of have it like sort of waiting for when page lengths and sections of the paper are needed, so they have to sort of pop it in, you know? Yeah. All right. I think you it's, know. Yeah, but I love. I I think this is really neat. You know. Yeah, like you said, Mike Dory really sort of draws in this sort of dark, like detailed style that's really um, unique, even in two, in the pages of 2000 AD. And yeah, it 
Oh, please. Oh, and just, I like how this sort of bookends also with Mach 1, who also died, um, and they sort of died for similar, or not similar ways, but just sort of like fighting against the government, sort of protecting someone they, they sort of care about and stuff. It's an interesting sort of uh, bookend to the, you know, to one of these early characters from 2000 AD, you know? Absolutely. And I, <clears throat> I'm just glad to have something that, like, is actually dark and mm-hmm. not supposed to be dark but fails which mm. we'll get to later uh-oh okay <laughs> let's uh let's now that we've been down in the dirt let's reach for the stars fox <laughs> oh my god oh with, my god with thrill three judge dread uh, script robot for Judge Dredd is John Wagner writing as, or as uh, John Wagner writing as John Howard. Uh, art robots Mike McMahon uh, and Ron Smith letter robots Tom Frame. And I think somewhere in here, um, John Wagner starts teaming up with Alan Grant full time and forming the uh, ever popular Wagner Grant uh, combine of 2008D writing. Dude. <laughs> but well, I, I'll tell you this much. Uh, yeah. Part 8, which is the one that we're going to start off with, is possibly my favorite Judge Dredd of the ones that we've read. Nice. It's so weird. Yeah. It's an alien tale. It's like a, it's a love story, right? Of uh, mm-hmm. this, There's this lovesick caveman alien named Buggo. He's in love with a cave lady named uh, Uglica. <laughs> And like, what? there's this tough warrior, Black Boab, who rides around on this giant, um, like, space woolly mammoth rhino. <laughs> and they challenge, and, uh, and uh, Buggo and Black Boab, like, challenge each other to a fight. And it's a whole thing until the Justice One appears, and, and uh, Buggo's able to claim Uglica for his own as, ju- as Dread sort of shows up, asks, like, has anybody seen this judge child? Like, and uh and pretty much it's just like oh weird savages all right we're out of here yeah but now they all think he's a god so yeah definitely whatever. well i mean this guy came from the sky and like did a thing you know that's pretty god like honestly but <laughs> came yeah from the sky did a thing yeah but yeah it's a it's a ridiculous story of just like it's such whiplash i can only imagine if you're reading especially like a, the collection of this and like a the judge child graphic novel or something we just turn a page and suddenly it's these ugly cavemen <laughs> Like, yeah, and it's like it's a song throughout the whole yeah. thing. Like the guy is singing the ballad of this <laughs> of this thing. It was just very weird. Yeah. It's it's fun, but yeah, so but now we're just sort of in these episodic things where it's sort of dread and sometimes Hershey land on a planet and have to do stuff and then move on to the next planet, basically. Oh god. And they're so, all really weird. It's it's yeah. kind of a like a sillier Dan Dare battle action playset. Definitely. Yeah. So Next up, we go to the planet of the Body Brokers, where we start with sort of a super punk rock guy that's apparently also the president, I guess. He gets, <laughs> he gets mobbed by fans until a bunch of cops show up, but the cops are all like these lizard guys. Um, and the lizard guys suddenly grow wings and fly off with the punk rock president, <laughs> and it's like, what is going on? But, <laughs> yeah. but then hard cut back to the, yeah. to the Justice One, and we're having some facial issues <laughs> well yeah the justice one dread is running lopez ragged um trying to keep things picked up possibly definitely because of his mustache 
hundred percent because of this really, really great looking mustache. He's got a pretty full mustache, it's true. So the ship lands on the planet from the cold open. It's called Lesser Lingo, and they have a race of intelligent aliens, which are the lizard dudes, but they're all slaves and do most of the manual labor. And the other thing on this planet is that they use biochips where when you die, your personality is downloaded into a microchip, which can then be implanted into another body. And these bodies are then rented out at a per hour basis. So you can live on after you die, as long as you can afford it. And a lot of people make money by renting out their body to the biochippers. Right. For like a few hours a day or something like that. Yeah. Much more on biochips when we go rogue in about 64 progs. Ooh. Anyhow. What the hell? Don't worry about it. So there's no records of the Angel Gang arriving here. And it looks like a dead end um, as like the police chief heads off. As the police chief of this planet heads off to go arrest people in a blonde wig for biochip money. Uh, Which is like... Uh, you know, just some old dame basically likes using my body to like arrest people or whatever. So I just let her do it. And she was, and she had long hair when she was alive. So it just it, it it gives her some uh some uh verisimilitude when she takes over my body. <laughs> <laughs> Super weird. But um, so Dredd and Hershey are then asked to meet with the with the planet's vice president, who mostly lives in the body of a big bodybuilder guy. And he explains that the body of the, uh, the uh, that the biochip of the president was kidnapped, as seen in the cold open, and in exchange for bringing back the president's biochip, because like the punk rock guy body was sort of dropped a couple and uh, recovered a while ago. The vice president will tell them where to find Oracle Spice, which is said to give important knowledge to those who take it. And basically, they feel like Dred feels like they need it to be able to find the judge child because otherwise they can't just keep going from planet to planet just kind of seeing if anybody's seen them you know there's too many planets basically mind you while the vice president is telling him this he's doing just a bunch of exercises like yeah deadlifts and lifting a for whatever reason a 30 pound thing and then like one of those stretchy things he's like and then he does some uh some jump roping yeah he's a big muscle man you know He's got to to keep his his fitness up. And he's like, I told that president to get a dope body like mine, but he just wanted to be a man of the people. Well, I guess also, like, part of the... He he gets a discounted rate on the body he's renting because he works out... Because he does... He maintains the workout. He does the working out for it, basically. It's ridiculous, man. It's a weird planet, dude. Uh, So, Dredd and one of the alien cops are looking for the president's biochips. All these alien guys kind of look like uh, like green fireys, like those guys that pull their heads off in the the movie Labyrinth, right? Or Skeksis. Or Skeksis. Yeah, they got a very sort of like evil Jim Henson workshop look to them. Mm. uh, And the wild ones have wings that allow them to fly. Yeah, those guys definitely look like the... What did you call them? Reddies? Fireys? Fireys? That's just what they were called when I looked it up on the internet. <laughs> yeah, they're all green, but they definitely look like they could pull their heads off and switch them. Def- yeah, they're they're ready to sing a song. Um, <laughs> so the, uh, the wild aliens are putting together a war party to get their demands met for holding the president's biochip. They fly out... <laughs> Yeah, they attack Dredd and the cop and Mass, leading to some awesome aerial shooting from Judge Dredd. He's shooting down aliens with, like, incendiary rounds and stuff. This um, would be really gory if they put in the blood, because some really horrible things happen. They definitely... Guys. 
<laughs> yeah, man, he's like shooting incendiaries, like flying around on fire and stuff. It's awesome. <laughs> Dude, yeah, there's like skeletal remains of their wings as they like crash into the planet. It's mm-hmm. fucking weird. Yeah. Dread follows an alien down into their tunnels and confronts the alien leader, who's basically like, Jesus Christ, Judge Dread, you just killed like all of our dudes, so I'll give you the chip. <laughs> Here, just go. Don't just kill the rest it. of us. <laughs> They just and he kind of explains that they just wanted a chance to become immortal biochips as well. And although Dread's skeptical and thinks that these this old chip thing is really dumb, basically, He's like yeah, I want to die one day. You guys are weird. Yeah, like immortal. That sounds that sounds terrible. Um, so with the president back in charge, he announces that he's no longer interested in the body of punk rock star Rocky Rock that he was previously renting. Now he wants to fly like one of the wild aliens and since he's president and he's gonna live in a wild alien body that means that all aliens will now get equal rights so that's pretty cool i guess even get like i guess the only way you identify him as president by the way is that he just has a massive pendant that just says president on it hey i feel like that's a good way for any society <laughs> i guess dread doesn't care about this stuff though they're off to the hadian story to get some of that oracle spice which, I mean, I guess if you're going to do some drugs to make you see the future, might as well be Oracle Spice. That's right. <laughs> so this leads to like a quick Star Trek type type story, I'd say. Or actually mm. like like a Dan Dare type story, I guess. <laughs> Cause, yeah, this is, this is fucking nightmare fuel. Yeah. On their way to the Hedean system, the Justice One encounters a planet that suddenly opens up like a huge like orange or something like that. Like if a bunch of you splayed out all the slices of an orange or something. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's full of tentacles, well, uh, and they all grab the ship and just pull it into this big beast's gullet, basically. It's, it's this huge planet. It's got full of stars, full of just digested starships in its belly. And, like, the scale of the monster and all the inside action of it, full of wrecked ships and stuff, is really cool. Um, what would it have eaten before spaceships? Starship? Probably, like, yeah. other space animals, maybe? I mean, there's got to be other ones now, like, right? Yeah, like, like I'd, I'd bet that, like, the space animals just don't leave, like, big husks behind in its belly, you know? Mm. Um. So, you know, they deal with it pretty quickly. They just sort of, you know, you drop enough nukes in the thing's belly and do some other stuff, and the judge <laughs> continues on their way. They're now sort of chastened by, by the dangers of this crazy star system, which leads to the Justice One landing on the planet Argos in the Hedean system, where a huge war rages on TV. Um, it, yeah, it's like... It's like seven different or 12 different civilizations that are all there, yeah. and they're all just like really into murdering each other. Yeah, so much so that there's like a lottery, and they get to like basically choose weapons prior to them fighting, and some yeah. people just get screwed. Yeah, so this time it's um, like basically like American like army guys versus a bunch of like tech knights with like laser lances on like robot horses and stuff. And apparently, tech knights beat American people. Yeah, that seems fair. Um, as, like, this frog reporter interviews soldiers and calls the action, eventually they kick it out to some insane alien commercials for, like, furry awesome. liquid hand soap, Brax brand landmines, and uh, Beast Paste. <laughs> Which makes you eat dentists? No I more guess? dentists with Beast Paste. 
Yeah, 40% fewer dentists. It really works. <laughs> the Justice One lands and Dredd and Hershey ride out. They leave Lopez to fix the ship and think about keeping that mustache. The, dredge, the judges <laughs> soon find themselves on the edges of the battle and quickly get pulled in as the Techno Knights charge them with their Laz Lances and the judges return fire. What's going on on this crazy planet? Don't miss next Prague. I gotta say, my favorite thing is Lopez's attitude giving much cause for concern. In my experience, too much attention to personal appearance often betrays a deeper character weakness. A judge should be clean, upright, and stern. No more. We are not in a beauty contest. I love how much Dredd is just straight up gaslighting Lopez about this mustache. (laughs) I I almost want to say he just can't grow... A beard, but we've seen him with one when he... He's had like a five o'clock shadow and stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, he really doesn't like that mustache. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Rip it off. But I love this traveling space stuff. Like you said, actually, yeah, it is very kind of Dan Dare-ish. Like the good part, the good version of Dan Dare. And um, I just love seeing all these guys, all these different situations for Dread to just kind of be implacable and stony-faced towards, basically. <laughs> He's just like, yeah, we saw some apes. This isn't worth our time. Let's get out of here. Exactly. <laughs> but hey, speaking of being very impressed with yourself, Fox. Oh, my God. Let's go to Thrill for the Mind of Wolfie Smith. Or as I call it, the Mind of Wolfie Shit. Exactly. So, not quite a hero, Wolfie Smith is on the run, using his psychic powers to, from using his psychic powers to rob a store. He gets hit in the face by a lady's purse, and the cops uh, catch up with him. And he uses his powers to teleport himself away. He's semi-successful, but ends up landing on the hood of a car instead of inside of the car. So, I want you to remember this power that he just used, because he doesn't use it again. Mm. In situations where it would have been great if it, even if he didn't end up in like a great place, it would have mm-hmm. been better than yeah. situations he'll be in. It's fucking frustrating. <laughs> oh, also, I don't, guys, Smith. I don't think I said the script robots, Tom Tully, art robots, oh. Jesus Redondo, lettering robots, Jack Potter. Anyhow, yeah, so. <laughs> On the, he, he teleports to the hood of a car. This causes a car accident, which in turn causes Wolfie to get thrown into a rubbish pile beyond a wall. The cops investigate, but the man who owns the rubbish pile sort of tells him, like, <laughs> oh, like, he went that away. And then pulls Wolfie out of the garbage. He's like, I don't like cops. Also, yeah. how do you know my name? Yeah. He leads Wolfie inside, offering a place to stay until the heat dies down. Wolfie thanks him, but calls him by his name, which the guy hasn't given, because Wolfie Smith is incredibly unsmooth with his psychic powers. <laughs> always, always unsmooth with those powers. Yeah. Uh, the man, Mr. Rumbold, pulls a gun on Wolfie. But Wolfie explains that he has psychic ability and proves it by forcing Rumbold to turn the gun on himself. Which, like, dude... <laughs> Yeah, that's a pretty messed up way to prove it, I gotta say. Rumbleism. Take well, it. Like, what? I just, like, take yeah, it or definitely. dematerialize it. Or this guy's shit. not a good guy, dude. R- no. So, Rumble's impressed and offers to have Wolfie meet his boss. But before calling his boss, Rumble has, has Wolfie do an experiment where he counts all the animals in the pet shop. He does so successfully, and the boss is called. Why? He, like, he just <laughs> saw him turn a gun on himself, and he's like, nah, count all the animals. I think he wants to see sort of what other powers he has, I guess. Maybe. So, 
The boss shows up and Wolfie instantly psychically identifies him as Harry Kramer, the boogeyman. Which he, uh, he's super creepy looking. Yeah. Redondo, yeah. Redondo is really having a great time drawing Kramer as this like hunched over, twisted, ugly guy. It's pretty amazing. Like super gnarled. So Kramer offers Wolfie a job in the crime business, but Wolfie refuses, at which point Kramer calls in his goons. His hired goons. <laughs> so Every Kramer bad guy's gotta have henchmen, and it's even better when they're two kind of like twins. Who are they're dumb and strong. They're giant, ugly, strong guys named Nigel and Roger. And, like, I gotta say, I think in England, Nigel's a regular name, but it's kind of a comedy name in America. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. Shout out to the guy, to uh, Nigel, who I went to middle school with, though. He's a cool guy, but, you know, Aww. it's a weird name in America and, an X- oh, and a good XTC song, anyhow. Um, but. Wow. Nigel's happy in his room, buddy. Um, so they threaten Wolfie to get him to join Kramer, but Wolfie's super stubborn. He uses his powers to make all the animals in Rumble's pet shop freak out and attack Kramer and the goons. He tries to escape, but then gets knocked out by Kramer's third goon, Edward. He just, he has a limitless supply of these things. Definitely. So what do you do when you have a psychic and you're really concerned about him just being a real shit like this kid is? You do what you always do when you have an underling who you're worried about uh, messing with you, Fox, and that's tie a, uh, a bomb to his neck. That he, so he can't remove the bomb. And then if he messes up or steps out of the way, you just blow his head off. Which, there you go. I mean, that's once what they do again, in Cyberpunk, dude. I don't know what to tell you, you know? <laughs> once, once again, doesn't teleport himself away, doesn't teleport it off of him, doesn't, like, make them take it off of him or some shit. Just mm-hmm. lets it happen. Exactly. So the I'd say one of the worst things about Wolfie having ESP is that there's no chance for the villains to give big evil speeches because Wolfie knows what they're going to say before they say it. So like now he knows both the details of the bomb on his collar and that like that they're about to meet the, the final member of the crew and then what the plan is basically. Which all like makes and- it very anticlimactic, you know? Yeah, and then all the villain has to say is like, oh, you already knew that, though, didn't you? Yeah. Which is the most clever thing they can say, or yes, that's right, which is yeah. the least clever thing they Ex- can say. Exactly. So, basically, the final member of the crew is this uh, computer guy, and he, Wolfie realizes that the plan is to take control of several missile-launching satellites to hold the government ransom for five, five million pounds, or they'll nuke Glasgow, Manchester, and London. Shout out to all of our Scottish fans who have told me how to p- p- successfully pronounce Glasgow. <laughs> wow. Also... <laughs> To be perfectly honest, I mean, if you're going to be able to shoot nukes at something, I'd be asking for a lot more than five million. It's a very, pounds. it's a very Austin Powers kind of a ransom demand, really. Yeah. <laughs> Wolfie refuses to take part of this several times until Kramer tells him he'll get a cut, a hundred thousand pounds, which is pretty tempting if you're basically a bad guy like Wolfie Smith is. <laughs> yep, he's a real <laughs> asshole. Just thinking about like, oh, I could buy like. A car, a cool house, a yacht, a yacht, some babes on yacht it. full of babes. <laughs> yeah. God, so they they drive. It's true. They ride up to this base. Wolfie starts taking out the guards and watchdogs as they go. And I'll note that everyone's wearing a mask except for Wolfie as they go in. 
He, God. Because he's a dumb, too. He he leads them through a maze of laser light tripwires, and things are going good as they approach the building, but then Wolfie starts to get a strange psychic feeling that something nasty is inside the building, and it's not computers for controlling nukes. This place isn't what Harry Kramer thinks it is. Next episode, The Yellow Death. Where within the first page or two, he'll explain what it is to us and maybe them. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, <laughs> God. Yeah, man. I don't know about this Wolfie guy. He's not. He's so am, he's amoral, but not in a cool way. It's more just like, oh, geez, I don't like this kid. You know? Well, it's like I said, it's like it's it's trying to attempt to be dark. But like whoever, whoever, you know, thought of this idea i mean or maybe it was just all tully right like mm-hmm. i mean they really know how like an asshole teenager would be but yeah. not all teenagers are dumb yeah and most people I, I mean it's esp and they're really like not landing this especially because the character is so fucking different than he was yeah although you know? i don't know yeah i'm starting to wonder actually if you know i find wolfie kind of distasteful but i wonder if like a 12 year old reading this would see wolfie as really cool and like anti-establishment or something like that you know i mean he does have a very large medallion so whatever <laughs> it's true <laughs> Hey, but speaking of the opinions of um, readers of this comic book, Fox, oh, let's go to there. non-thrills, covers, nerve centers, classified, seven winners of the galaxies, contests, and film reports. <laughs> I'm seriously, the only thing that I'm excited for is two things. Mm-hmm. One, Tharg's face, and you know what I mean by that. <laughs> and two, the Seven Wonders of the Galaxy. Seven Wonders of the Galaxy is awesome. cool, dude. Um, yeah. They're a cool, like, feature, you know? So, I think so. Prog 163, Mike, uh, <clears throat> Mick McMahon draws Black Boab and Dread, and it's really weird. <laughs> in the, uh, yeah. In the nerve center, there's a picture of Tharg the Jester, and there's letters suggesting a bunch of ridiculous new characters. Mid-prog, there's a page of intergalactic classified ads that are all pretty funny, I think. Oh, dude, Mac-Mac. Yeah, there's a Mac-Mac ad. There's a, a classified ad for Mekon selling the Earth and Rick Random looking for, de- for detective work. Um, oh, dude. The, fucking shots fired. Exactly. The prog ends with the second wonder of the galaxy, the Valley of the Gods, which is a pair of giant alien warriors poised for battle but frozen in place. And it's pretty neat, honestly. Dude, it's so awesome. Like, there's a waterfall going off one of the back mm-hmm. of their heads. Yeah. It's just, it's just like a cool thing, the Valley of the Gods. Yeah. Um, in uh, Prog 163, Ron Smith tells us to get spaced out with Judge Dredd. Look out, you alien creeps. The law is here. Dude. Uh, it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. In the nerve center, there's a picture of Tharg with his face popped open, robots, robo-hunter style, which is pretty excellent. So this this was a, definitely a trace, but I give it a mm. complete pass because everything past the trace, which is the flattened robot face and the yeah. detached face, are clearly all hand drawn by this kid and it's really great. Definitely. Yeah, there's some there's some additional stuff that I think elevates it for sure. There's also a there's a letter proposing the top 10 worst sci-fi films of all time and it's funny cuz literally half of these are mystery science theater movies like uh, Food oh. of the Gods, The Green Slime, Robot Monster, Horror at Party Beach and Santa Claus Con- Conquers the Martians are all MST3K uh, uh, shows. <laughs> Dude, I want to see Invasion of the Hell Creatures. Yeah, that sounds neat. Um, yeah. 
the uh, the third wonder of the galaxy uh, comes early, and it's Dorado, the head of hate. Dude, I love this one. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's, it's in orbit and caused a rebellion. It's a giant golden head of a space dictator that serves as a grim reminder of his rule. So also, in this one, there's a contest that's a, just a random drawing for people whose letters weren't published, which is kind of fun, I think. Yeah, yeah. That's nice. So, Prog 165. Here's the deal with 165, Fox. All right. Between 164 and 165, we've jumped from May 10 to June 14th of 1980. Mm-hmm. In between, there's been a huge strike for magazine and newspaper workers, including the staff of 2000 AD. The, oh, wow. Uh, the current editors, like I think Steve McManus and Richard Burton, were even like fired for a couple weeks and then rehired at the end of the strike. Whoa. And it ended up halting production of progs for five weeks, eventually restarting here in June. Uh, we'll sort of get an in-universe explanation for this lapse in Prague 181, just FYI. But it's just wow. a crazy, just huge gap in the production of, the, of these comics, you know? Yeah. And, like, later on, also, like, in the 70s or so, we'll start getting just a bunch of letters saying, like, um, like, hey, what happened in 2000 AD for those weeks, dude? Jeez. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. Anyhow, this this cover is uh, Mike Dory giving an awesome, super strong send-off to Mach Zero. In the nerve center, Tharg declares us all to be, all readers to be Squawk's Deck Thargos, which I appreciate. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, bro. <laughs> totally. Mid-prog, Rojaws gives us some uh, updates on the Empire Strikes Back, and he seems pretty excited about it. I hope it'll be good. <laughs> 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 he also um, misnames uh, John Williams, the art, the uh, the music director for Star Wars, as like John But John Butler or something like that. Oh, weird. Like it's just a, just a total like mess up, and people will call him on it and stuff like that. It's just kind of funny. Um, that like like just to get or yeah yeah just to get that um like s- s- something so important uh, wrong sorry calls him John Barry yeah anyhow <laughs> weird um I mean it's not the first time we've seen the wrong names in uh, Star Wars features in 2000 AD right but <laughs> at the end That's of the prog fair. yeah at the end of the prog there's some contest winners and there's a half page like uh, a pro story basically recapping the story of zero which i think is a really nice send-off for this character and for like the mock men in general i guess yeah the fourth wonder of the galaxy is the hanging prison of sin sin constructed in 2999 everything hangs from the ceiling and executions are done by dropping convicts into a pit of lava it's super grim dark you shoot through a pneumatic tube into a giant pit of lava yeah buddy that's how you get rid of convicts only way in Frog 166, Brian Ballin draws the cast of The Empire Strikes Back. Or, like, it's weird because it's kind of based on the action figure versions of them. <laughs> Actually, yeah. But according to Steve McManus, like, this was, like, having these sort of hand-drawn, unique promotional images of, the, of Star Wars was in... Or, like, just having unique images of Star Wars was pretty short supply in this era. Like, everybody had the mm. same, like, 20 or so pictures of the, for the... Like, promotional pictures for The Empire Strikes Back mm. that they just used over and over. So having some original art of these guys was a pretty big coup, and, like, it sold a lot of comics, basically. Well, I'll tell you, Luke Skywalker's uh, lightsaber has a hilt on it for some reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. It's yeah. very bizarre. I, I, you know, I wouldn't say they're super on model, but it's still pretty good. Um, mm. 
In uh, in the nerve center, Tharg teases the ne- uh, the, the next single page humor comic. Right now, it's called Flush Gordon, but it'll eventually be called Dash Decent. And uh, uh, Flush Gordon, that's pretty good. Yeah, he also teases Comic Rock coming in the next prog. Oh snap! The fifth wonder of the galaxy is the Petrax, a giant spaceship that dumped millions of gallons of oil on the California coast in 2130 and then was set on fire and the fire burned for years. Hey, screw you guys, dude. It's like my house. (laughs) Mid Prague, there's also a very nice pinup of Judge Hershey by Brian Bolland. Hershey's like, yeah, she's more tough and hard-edged than Anderson, but equally awesome in my opinion. Uh, Bolland okay. puts, puts the spurs to uh, Lopez a little bit. It's true. And, you know, she's got the bangs and stuff. I will say that um, next week we'll see that Ron Smith doesn't quite have the hang of drawing her the way Bolland does. Mm-hmm. There's also a contest to win a Star Wars electronic battle game and a bunch of action figures. Hooray. Yeah. Cover 167. It's Comic Rock. Oh, Kev o- yeah. Kev O'Neill reimagines the 2080 cover as like a music magazine full of nemesis signifiers and records and stuff like that. Oh, man. That spaceship. Uh, this comic is to be played at 45 RPM. Oh, in, that's amazing. In the Nerve Center, Tharg explains about Comic Rock, and there are both excellent pictures of Pirate Tharg and Judge Dredd. Hell yeah, man. Also, there's some small teasers about the forthcoming sports story Mean Arena, as well as the Bellardinelli drawn Meltdown Man. The oh, sixth, yeah. yeah, the sixth wonder of the galaxy is the Kill Ray, a giant robot star squid that roams the spaceway, destroying the warships of tyrants and other evil evil doers. It's pretty awesome, <laughs> dude. What? Yeah, robot space squid that uh, enforces justice around the galaxy. <laughs> That's pretty great. Yeah, it's like the Superman of squids. Definitely, dude. You got to read the uh, read the text explanations for these things. Like the pictures are good, but the words are like, what the hell is going on here? (laughs) (laughs) And hey, speaking of making uh, space free from evildoers, Fox. No count. Thrill five. The VCs. Script robot for the VCs is Jerry Finley Day. Art robots Cam Kennedy and Gary Leach. Lettering robot is, of course, the Aldrich Mark II. (laughs) So, Ringer and Smith, two of the VCs, are behind enemy lines, infiltrating the geek worlds. But Ringer has been caught in an alien tree and being tortured by the geeks. Uh, Smith springs into action, taking several geeks on a trip to Vape City, while Ringer gets free enough to take down the final one, sneaking up on Smith using a uh, death frisbee, basically. (laughs) Yeah, dude. It's a space spinner. I mean, they call it a powered kill disc, but that's definitely what a space spinner does. Oh, yeah. The two are even now and begin investigating. They make their way to a giant geek base, getting a good idea of their forces and equipment. But suddenly, a geek general flies in. He's found the human capsule and they're looking for infiltrators. Smith gets by, but Ringer is caught because of the rip in his suit from the death frisbee gave him away. Oh, my God. Will Smith abandon Ringer? I mean, eventually he won't. <laughs> but first, I mean, I don't blame him. The dude shook hands with him with razor blades in his hand. That's very true. So first, Smith uses the distraction of Ringer being tortured to uh, send a dispatch back to the human fleet. Then he grabs the geek general and holds him hostage as they steal a geek ship and escape. 
this uh, this permanently scars Ringer, although he doesn't blame Smith for it. He's just very not okay. Well, he like got he was getting like tortured and almost executed and stuff in the geek camp. Yeah. So between the uh, the intelligence and the captured general, the mission was a success. Although, yeah, Ringer's nerve is broken and it'll never be the same again. And Jupe has some cool new sunglasses, kind of. Yeah, blind guy glasses. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> the assault on the geek base is very successful, as is the mind probing of the geek general. The crew celebrates and the geek general escapes. The, yeah, through an airlock and dies. <laughs> yeah, the VCs catch him trying to commit suicide because the after effects the mind probe and Ringer shows up and obliges, blowing him out of the airlock. The VCs won't implicate anyone, so the dishwasher decides to punish the crew by volunteering them all for the next infiltration mission. Which, dude, what the hell? Seriously, the remaining VCs are all aboard a stolen geek ship, running ahead of the fleet in their infiltration gear. The, uh, the, they warp ahead to a new star system, and it's a, a black dwarf star, which freaks out ship's gunner, who's named Dwarf Star. Mm-hmm. Soon after, yeah, they encounter a geek star base that's disguised as a moon. After trying to bluff their way through, the VCs have to spring into action, taking down a bunch of fighters and blowing up the base. Things look okay until a secret missile base on the star itself fires at them, and the VCs take a direct hit to Dwarf Star's turret, and the missile man is flushed into space and quickly dies. Sucks, man. He was like my he favorite was a cool music. dude. Yeah. Yeah, and he's like, I'm joining you, Midge. Yeah, his dead brother. Jeez. So. Smith swears revenge, but we won't see it until next episode as the VCs take Prague 66 and 67 off. Well, let me tell you, it's not just revenge against the uh, the geeks. He's like, I am going to kill the dishwasher. Absolutely, man. He sent them out there to die, basically. Yeah, that guy is going to die, and that's awesome. <laughs> uh, he really better. But, hey, speaking of uh, illegal actions done in Space Fox. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thrill 6, the stainless steel rat saves the world. He's back, motherfuckers. Oh, beep, yeah. Beep, beep, beep. I mean, you know, I no, really that's... like the stainless steel rat. Yeah, man. man. <laughs> Script robots, Kelvin Gosnell. Art robots, Colors of Scare. Letting robot, Pete Knight. Yeah, I should say also, an interesting thing in the book is, like, the stainless steel rat often takes the first um, uh, thrill in the, in the comic. It's because, like, having this adaption of this, like, sort of well-known science fiction story was really seen as seen as a prestige thing, you know? Like, yeah. McManus actually talks a lot in his. Sorry, I've 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 just been reading this book a lot. Um, Dude, yeah, no, like <laughs> and, knowledge bomb. Yeah, man. and he talks a lot about how sort of these stainless steel rat adaptions did a lot to make 2000 AD appear like serious or like respectable in the eyes of like the brass at IPC, I guess. Like Man, that's really cool. He's always talking about like how you know trying to be taken seriously in the work they do. Like even though they're like selling a ton, like the the management's like, oh yes, those two thousand AD boys, they don't know what they're talking about, you know. And so this was something to kind of be like, hey, like we got this like big sci-fi author to let his work be adapted in our comic. And so it, and and that sort of answers actually my question when we were doing the first round of two thousand ADs and why he was on the cover so much, where they were just really wanted to make a big deal about it and like sort of be like. Yeah. Hey, like you know, here's this actual like piece of sci-fi literature that we're adapting in our comic book. You know, all of that, and they do a fucking awesome job. Well, uh, yeah, so, so that's why they definitely put their do their best in making it super duper awesome. 
You know? Yeah, yeah. There's, God, any time Mascara's drawing something, I'm just really happy. It's super smooth, dude. Yeah. So, Slippery Jim. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we open with Jim getting chewed out by the special core boss, Inskip. But then suddenly Inskip dissolves and disappears. Whoa. Which, what the hell? Just super action, suddenly. A ton of goons barge into the office and they try to grab Jim, but several of them disappear as well as Jim gets, like, blackjacked and knocked out and stuff. Just like, it's not starting well for old... No. For old DeGrish. <laughs> yeah. He wakes up in this lab where Professor Koipu basically gives him the details. They've both been, like, they both have these time fixators on, which contain memory boxes that will protect them, but someone is messing with the past. They're killing people's ancestors uh, who are members of Special Corps, which is making them disappear from the timeline. Whoa! I mean, you really just have to do, like, go, what is it, like... Is it ten or forty generations? In you the go past? back far enough, you can eight. take out a lot of people with just one kill, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like forty. Yeah. We're we're all brothers and sisters by forty generations or some yeah. crap. It's nuts. Yeah. So they're going back pretty far. <laughs> yeah. So Jim volunteers to go back and stop this thing until it's revealed that it's a one-way trip. Jim can't go then. He's got responsibilities, and in fact, he calls those responsibilities up. His wife Angelina and there's twin sons james and bolivar who both suddenly disappear because their ancestors have been killed no no. okay i guess nothing left to lose now time Time to circle absolutely jim agrees to go back but only if he can take professor koipu's memory box with him so that maybe he can use koipu's memories to then build a time machine in the past and go and get back to the future which yeah, he's like, but then I'll only live for like seven minutes. And he's like, uh, dude, I don't give a fuck. Man, so. yeah, well, plus, like, it's a time deal, dude. If he fixes it, then none of this will happen in the first place. So, yeah, everything will be fine. <laughs> Jim jumps through the time helix to save the future by going to the past. Isn't that always how it works? Mm hmm. After some crazy, uh, like time travel action, Jim arrives in the 20th century Earth, which we learn is like 30,000 years in the past. The stainless steel rat takes place so far in the future, dude. <laughs> dude, like really far. I, I love when he like, okay, so he passes by a helicopter and the dudes are like, oh, what the hell is that? Well, we can't tell anyone what we saw because we've been drinking and yeah. we don't want to get in trouble. He gets into a fight with a motorcycle guy, right? And almost gets yeah. hit. But it's how he talks to him after that. Like Definitely. He talks he basically talks to him like uh like you would talk to a stereotypical caveman, like me Jim, where money. You know? <laughs> it's really Ah, oh, God, it's just so good. Anyway, he beats the shit out of a biker, is I guess what I'm trying to say. Well, I mean, as we learned from the Terminator films, all time travelers have to deal with bikers within the first five minutes oh of arriving in the past. <laughs> oh, my God. Freak out, dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> has everyone just read 2000 AD? Was I, feel- I just, like, patently unaware of this? I think it's just, just English nerds, you know? God. But so, (laughs) Jim realizes he's going to need some local currency to figure things out here in the past. So it's time for the usual stainless steel rat thing where you just immediately rob a bank. So yeah, and he's like, oh, the guy's like, where do they keep all the money? They're like, in banks. And he's like, oh, shit, I know those. (laughs) Yeah, I can rob banks, no matter what year it is. (laughs) 
<laughs> we so. also I don't I don't see where, but we learned that this big bad guy is called He, the man who could destroy the future. Oh really? So that's the name of the bad guy, He. <laughs> Anyhow, stay tuned for Stainless Steel Rat next episode, Busted by the Boys in Blue. It's kind of a hardcore name, He. It's true. But yeah, man, Stainless Steel Rat just comes in and does his Stainless Steel Rat thing where just, you know, the pedals to the metal, just everything goes super fast. He's always got a plan. He's always got the next move, like, like figured out and stuff. Fuck yeah, buddy. That's, God, I love the Stainless Steel Rat. I love, I, I mean, he hasn't really done any fourth wall breaking yet. I mean, he will, I mean, I'm sure. He's just, yeah, he's kind of done some, I mean, you know, he's narrating the whole thing, so it's sort of, he's not quite, a, you know, he's not establishing things th- th- that much at this point, but he kind of talks, like, breaks a little bit when he talks about, like, how time traveling actually really hurts, and you, like, see the whole of creation when you time travel and stuff. Which so is still, a little still some of intense. That. <laughs> yeah, it definitely makes it, it's not just, like, pulling some switches on the TARDIS, you know, it's definitely, like, of experience for you, you know? Well, that was, like, the cool opening, like, image was just him, like, holy crap. Yeah, just uh, seeing the the, uh, the the wet, the the width and breadth of the galaxy as he travels through time. And then just being like, oh, I'm fine. I mean, it hurt. Yeah, I'm, I'm back at it. Whatever. <laughs> hey, speaking... Universe, universe. Exactly. Hey, speaking of not letting the death of a child get you down, Fox... Thrill 7 Rojas Robot Tales Oh god That's a Ye First Robot (laughs) Script Robot Gary Rice Art Robot Brendan McCarthy Lettering Robot Tom Frame So This is Uh, a weird This is a weird like storybook Future Shock yeah, it's it's even like done like image wise that way. Yeah, like there aren't like word bubbles. It's all like like kind of text direction and, or like text directions and stuff. Mm. But basically, it's about a father in 1820 building a steam powered robot named Robert to replace his dead son. The Which, local, okay, yeah, the local villagers immediately mob up and destroy the machine with their pitchforks and torches because they fear all change. And hey, who's that in the <laughs> background? Who's not afraid of change, Fox? Uh, Why it's a, it's our old buddy Baron Frankenstein, not the end, the beginning. A beep beep uh, beep. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, it was just like so. How many Frankenstein stories, and how many different ways can we do a Frankenstein story? Two thousand AD. This is at least the third that I'm thinking of off the top of my head. Yeah, it's like I mean, I get it. You know, Frankenstein. <laughs> It's not that good of a book. It's it's a huge, apparently a huge touchstone for 2000 AD writers, I guess. I I guess. But hey, speaking like steal of steal from Dune, whatever. Hey, speaking of a crazy, whacked out far futures, Fox, like oh. Dune. Thrill Eight, Terror Tube. It's so cool. Script robot Pat Mills, art robot Kev O'Neill, letter robot Steve Potter. Okay, Fox, here's the deal. Mm. Uh, stop right now and go listen to The Jams Going Underground. Um, okay. It's the opening music for the last episode of this show. <laughs> Anyhow, do it! <laughs> it's, uh... I'm, I'm, I'm typing it in, The Jams. <laughs> The jam, yeah, it's it's a it's it, it, it's a pretty classic uh, punk slash mod revival song. It's theoretically the uh, inspiration for this thrill, though I think it's pretty hard to see. I don't know. Anyhow, dude, this so far it's 
kind of awesome. Yeah, it's neat, right? I might actually just play it underneath the bottom of this uh, this thing here. We'll see if I do. But anyhow, welcome to Termite, Fox, the capital of a cruel galactic empire. It's defined by its huge, difficult-to-navigate underground tube highways. I appreciate Elmer and Maybelline's through line for this yeah. story, by the way. We see an old married couple trying to visit their daughter in the city of Necropolis. As what they, the hell? As they try to navigate the system, and we see a DJ giving, like, traffic info, and it's just real complicated. Didn't didn't Fleetway fucking say no way to, like, tube tunnel This is This is literally a thumb in the nose of editors. <laughs> That's awesome. You didn't like tube stuff, huh? Here's all the tubes. (laughs) This is a fucking planet of tubes. Exactly. Yeah, the traffic is interrupted, however, by the chief of tube police and general guardian of law and order, Torquemada. Basically, like, add a KKK guy to a Catholic priest, multiply it by Warhammer 40,000, and you've got (laughs) Torquemada. (laughs) He's got a big pointy metal head And he rides through the tube way In an open air pulpit Surrounded by dudes on hover skis And lances called Terminators Urging the citizens to be pure Be vigilant Behave Dude I just like his rhetoric On like this man is a road hog And a moving accident black spot Mm -hmm. It's like all of it has to do with cars It feels very like Mad Max tirade Definitely and the uh, Be Pure, Be Vigilant motto will echo through the ages in 2000 AD. And it's even like the title of Pat Mills' memoir about the uh, early days of 2000 AD. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So Torquemada's speech is interrupted by the arrival of Nemesis. Uh, we don't see Nemesis here. Just his vehicle, the Blitz Sphere, the Blitz Sphere, or Spear, which... Um, Looks like like a pointy striped head of a dragon, basically. It's like sp- it's spewing smoke, smoke. It looks angry, shouting his catchphrase, "Credo!" <laughs> Nemesis smashes through a prison car, freeing the occupants, and then leads the forces of Torquemada on a gravity-defying chase through the underground of termites. And it's just so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like uh, dudes on hover things with massive spears trying to catch a guy, falling through a window, falling on big dude's plate as he's eating, and mm-hmm. then just like they they're racing towards a black hole. Yeah, and they, so they like shoot these giant fucking lasers, and in true sci-fi fashion, let me tell you, bro, you never cross the streams. Well, they done cross the streams, mm-hmm. and he's like, I'm out of this. Yeah, and then they blow each other's like big old beam factories and he's just like peace i'm out of this black hole and it's fucking cool all right it's a race car mm-hmm. it's you, going real fast there's you really, lasers you really owe it to yourself to check out like the nemesis collections just to see all this stuff i'm gonna try to put as much of just this comic on social media as possible like you know i think i, I can massage it around we can get the whole terror tube thing up there like in in like one or two posts um, so ch- check it out as well. It's real. This is such a great entrance for this character. And Nemesis, I'm so looking forward to us getting deep into Nemesis. He'll return in Prague 178 for the story of Killer Watt. And then hmm. it won't be until like about like the 220s that he comes on as a full-time uh, character. I really love the look of Black Hole Bypass. All, like of it lo- all of these cars just shooting into a black hole. Everything looks so neat with Nemesis, man. It's one of these things where sometimes I just look at it just to kind of like 
kickstart my imagination or something like that. Yeah, it's just it, this whole world that's so fully realized, like right out of the gate, of just this huge city of like cars and tubes and the police force around it, and like you know, people living their lives with it and things like that. It's real neat. Oh, it's so fun. Yeah. And Maybelline and Elmer actually make it all the way out, but they made a wrong turn. Yeah, I don't think they're trying to get to deep space to the Black Pole Bypass. That's just where they <laughs> kind of end up. <laughs> and that's oh, the thrills God. for this month, Fox. Holy crap. <sighs> so, now the uh, telling moment. What was your... What thrill had the most thrill power to you this month? Or I mean, th- these months, May, June, and early July, 1980. Uh, I'll be honest. I mean, my top is very easily Robo Hunter. Nice. I mean, it's just fucking hilarious. It's funny. It's fun. Like, it's not taking itself too seriously. It's in full stride. There wasn't obviously there for me. There wasn't enough of the stainless steel rat yet. Uh, but I have mm-hmm. a feeling that's going to be vying for that top spot quite soon. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I try to shoot for at least like three to four like progs that you're actually in, not just two. But damn, I hear you. For stainless steel rat. Anyway, enough about that. But like, I just like a dude gets crushed with a bunch of bricks. A bunch of like duplicate sla- Sam Slade show up. Totally. Like little weird robots. A button that you press in your belt. Like I was pretty happy. Uh-huh. It was ridiculous. Definitely. And then what thrill had the least thrill power for you this month? I mean, the mind of Wolfie shit. That was terrible. I fucking hate it. I hope, like, God, what an asshole of a child who's just, like, just getting worse. And, like, I was, I I feel bad. I'm, like, I was its biggest proponent. I saw what it was trying to do when it, was, when it like, first showed up, and I was kind of, like, really stoked for it um, just because I like you know, like fiends of the Eastern Front, like it's okay to have a little bit of mysticism in your sci-fi if you yeah. kind of fucking do it right. And ESP could be that. God, Wolfie Smith, you just fucking suck, and it's bad now. And it's worse. <laughs> I gotta like, agree with you. Trying for, to be yeah. edgy. Totally, I gotta agree with you with with, with my bottom. I just find like the char- like. I mean, honestly, I don't think Wolfie Smith is super bad. I don't like his character as being. Um, like, he's just the sort of a- a- amoral jerk kid. The art's really nice. Like, Redondo yeah. does a really good job of just making these ca- of making these distasteful characters actually be ugly and stuff, which I think is a bold choice. And he kind of captures some more of that sort of um, Mach Zero, Mike Dory sort of, like, darkness in the way he draws things and stuff that makes this sort of... That really fits this kind of darker storyline and version of this character and stuff. But... What? Yeah, I it's just, got its own look. Like, that's what's nice. Yeah. So, like, it's not like, you know, it's not garbage, I guess, to me. But, like, um... It's not Death Planet. I mean... Yeah, but it's also, like... It's, <laughs> it's also... I mean, yeah. It's it's like a Rick Random or a Death Planet or a Colony Earth or something like that. Oh, but it is definitely, like, eh, like, I could leave this one. You know, it's not grabbing me. It's definitely the, the story I least look forward to, um, this, you know in um anyone prog you know what i mean yeah so what's your top or what's your what is the most thrill power you experienced i got like i got a tie actually for this one that's awesome a rare tie which i usually don't like to do but there's just sort of a couple things i really gotta i i I gotta do um one is mock zero which i thought had such a great downer ending and stuff 
um, as well as the art style that I like and just sort of this like, you know, I don't know, sort of this theme of like father-son stuff or something that I'm always a sucker for. Um, Yeah, man, me too. That that I thought was really neat and really like, you know, definitely something that at this point you sort of forget about uh, about like the Mach-Man and stuff, but I think is worth mentioning here. And then for me, the other one is a nemesis, dude. Nemesis just shows up and is like just a whole like unique original thing, something that creates this world and really makes me sort of like it really grab grab my attention, made me sort of ready for this whole for Nemesis the War, like the full series to really start and stuff. You know, it's a it's a one pager, but it's also a one pager or a a one prog story, but a one prog story that really um. Like really set us set me on fire, I guess. Really like made me think about stuff and made me really like really grab me, I guess. Well, I mean, it just erupted from the fucking pages yeah. at like what like fucking eleven, basically. Definitely, but like, I'll also God. say that like I really love this this section, Robo Hunter. Like that's a really good choice. Um, I feel like. Dread is kind of transitioning to the next stage mm-hmm. of the um of the Judge Child uh, saga, so it's it's fine, but it's sort of in the middle right now, you know. Yeah, exactly. Just to kind of discuss it's... all of these, all of them, you know. Yeah, yeah. It. I mean, it's breather time for Judge Dread, right? Yeah. Like we talk about this, where it's like it gets a little bit there, and then they need like a little breather time so they can actually pad it with cool shit. I mean, it's still doing its continuity thing, but it feels more um, episodic. Yeah, 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 definitely. All right. <laughs> I hope everybody enjoyed the show. You can always find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or our podcast site at Cradaline.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at spacespinner 2 k For everything else, look up spacespinner 2000 and we should be there. Come back next time. As we continue the summer of 1980 in our timeline and we arrive at the 1980 sci-fi special. Oh. I don't know. I'm actually pretty excited about this special. There's some uh, there's some fun dread robot comics. There's a Strontium Dog short story. There's only <sighs> one real legacy comic. Um, and there's ex- an extended feature on the House of Tomorrow as well as the debut of famed comic author Alan Moore on our podcast. Oh, cool. So, until next time, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendug Splendug Berthrig! Splendug Berthrig!